Resident of Atlanta now. Atlanta now. I'm a native of Omaha. I'm a native of Omaha. Native of Omaha, resident right. of Atlanta. Uh, and has a lot of really interesting things to say on the topic. So without taking any more of his time, please join me in welcoming Rick Davis. Thanks, guys. I, I appreciate it. And um, if, you, if you can't hear me, can you guys hear me in the back? Okay? All right. Um, Thank you, Spath, for inviting me here, and thank you for uh, that great introduction. Just as a, as a uh, backdrop of who I am, I've, I was one of the original marketing-type, business development-type people that came from the traditional electronic banking world into the Internet space when it was originally uh, made commercial. And <clears throat> through the course of selling e-business and creating these new electronic business models, uh, one of my big customers asked me, how are you going to pay for the damage or the errors that your firewalls uh, don't prevent? If a hacker gets into our system, how are you going to be res held responsible for that? And I simply told him what, you know, what was the state of the industry at the time, which is, I'm not going to be held responsible. You're going to be responsible, and I'm going to just kind of just be dust in the wind. And if you want me to come back and do some forensics or whatever investigation, you're going to have to pay me. And he said, well, that's not good enough, Rick. You know, you are a very critical part of our e-business solution, and um, we want you to be held responsible. So f literally from that conversation went immediately to my family's insurance agency and jumped into the bottom, literally the, the, the pit of the insurance world in order to create this new space that we now call e-business risk management. The place where I knew we had to focus was on creating this standard way of measuring e-business risk, e-business being all things internet, all things computer, all things digital. Um, knew that we had to create this standard way of measuring the standard process for managing these risks and that is how the world knows me and um, that is what I do. So I have a secure, security and internet background coming into the insurance world and I didn't, I didn't turn off my screensaver so that thing might, might go away. Alright, this is a conversation I had. <clears throat> um, this, is, this is an awesome, awesome conversation. It's, it's very similar to the conversation that I had with the CIO of that of that big customer a long time ago. And basically, this, this is a conversation I had over the, over the internet with one, of my, uh, with one of my peers that says, in a nutshell, we can never expect the accountability and the responsibility to, um, uh, to, to come to the surface 
for vendors who are out there trying to sell e-business solutions. These people have an economic incentive to create the lowest quality that the market will, will bear. And that is actually, that's, that's totally true. Why would you over-engineer something when the people who are buying it aren't asking for it? The person talking says, I don't have high hopes for this approach. This approach being, you know, creating this risk-free environment, creating this, these levels of accountability. Because the issues are usually too complex for the average user or buyer. What is needed, and I separate this and put it in bold because this is the point of why I'm here, what's needed is more consumer advocacy by the people and organizations that have the skills. And I'm here to say that people like myself, people like SPAF, people like you folks in the room uh, soon to be, need to be, need to become aware of this stuff and need to uh, build the skills necessary to create this world that my friend is so, uh, uh, is so adamantly uh, thinking will never happen. <clears throat> what we're going to talk about is the holy grail, the holy grail being the e-business insurable standard. What is e-business risk? Changing the paradigm, creating the insurable standard, and then we're going to talk about applying the standard. How do we sustain it? And what does all this mean to Sirius and to um, Purdue and to the world at large? Electronic business risk. What we're talking about here is bringing business from the traditional bricks and mortar, the traditional industrial age, into the new economy. This, this transformation, this paradigm shift, creates huge, huge interdependencies among all of the formerly separate business disciplines, the separate business disciplines being financial, technical, legal, there are more. I put these three main ones on the board. And really builds this web that, that makes them rely on each other, makes, them, uh, makes, one, uh, exposure, makes an exposure in one place have, a, have a, uh, an equal exposure in another place. Financial risk, what we talk about is lost revenue, financial fraud. If, if your site goes down or you're compromised one way or you, your people can't work because your network is down, denial of service, whatever, lost revenue, financial fraud, lost equity market cap. Just think about eBay, how they lost to over $2 billion off their market cap when uh, they had uh, a, a, very, um, uh, a very minor, which actually turned to be major, uh, human-slash-technology uh, compromise in their system last year. Then we go to the technical risk, the compromise in network assets. That's what we're talking about when we talk about e-business risk. And of course, you can never get rid of the legal risk because there will always be liability of your online activities when something goes wrong. People will sue you. The problem when you create these interdependencies and coming from the traditional world to the e-business new economy world, the problem is that there are separate languages each of these disciplines, each of these financial, technical, and legal, uh, legal disciplines talk a different language. They talk separate languages. So it's our job to analyze the gap and to bridge the gap between the conversation among these decision makers. CEO, when, he, when, when CEO talks, talks about business and opportunity risk. CFO, corporate risk manager talks, they talk about financial risk and something that uh, needs to be insurable. The chief operation officer talks about procedural risk. This is really where operation risk um, lays. And, um, you know, the conversation that everybody wants to have in the e-business world is the CIO, CTO world, which is the technical risk. Now, I'm not saying that any of these risks or any of these conversations are any more important than the others, but there is a gap between all these decision makers, and we, as e-business risk management professionals, need to address that gap and need to bridge that gap and create a brand new language that they all can understand at one time. The language that they need to understand is that they are responsible for these people at all times. These are the folks that keep them in business. These are the folks that they rely on. The definition, I heard a, heard a great, um, great definition of, of stakeholders while I've, uh, while I've been at Sirius and, and having conversation with folks. The definition of a stakeholder is whoever the company needs, period, for whatever. They need employees, they need customers, they need suppliers. 
They definitely need shareholders who's going to give them the money. They need executives, boards of directors, the decision makers, and of course, they need general public. One customer of mine, one, I'm sorry, one past customer of mine, um, a, a large um, uh, national telephone company in Japan, when we went through their stakeholder definition, their stakeholder was the general public of, of the entire company of the entire country of Japan. If they went down, the general public of Japan was going to suffer huge, which would then, of course, create economic uh, turmoil for the rest of the world. E-business risk at the bottom line is about trust and accountability. Can you trust not only the system, but can you trust the people that are employed to, to use the system. We're talking about users, we're talking about executives here. Can you trust people and, and are they gonna be held accountable, that same question that, uh, that CIO asked me, are they gonna be held accountable when something goes wrong? Not if something goes wrong, when something goes wrong. Is that right, Spath? Mm -hmm. What are we talking about? Trust and accountability for what? Trust and accountability for, to, to address the threats to corporate assets. In the traditional world, in the, the, the industrial world, what we always talk about, the, the threats, you know, you think about insurance, think about somebody putting money to cover the risk in the industrial world. What are they thinking about? They're thinking about fire, flood, hurricane, tornado. We're talking about tangible stuff here. We're talking about when my factory burns down, I need you to come in and replace this factory and make me whole, as if the, the, the fire or tornado never happened. Versus in the e-business in the e world, in the new economy, where's the tangible threat? Where's the tangible threat other than somebody holding a gun to your system administrator head and you know, walking out with the server, which does happen. <laughs> so then we get to physical controls, right? Um, the, intangible, the intangible assets that we have to identify, categorize, and uh, protect the intangible assets there are relationships. Relationships with those stakeholders, relationships with your supplier, relationships with your, with your boards of directors. Intangible uh, assets include your, your, um, your reputation. What, you know, what value does Amazon.com have in its reputation out there in the world? It's huge. At, think about how, what it takes to get venture capital, venture capitalists to give you hundreds of millions of dollars based on a, 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 a zero profitability business model, all you have is intangible assets. All you have is your reputation. All you have is your ability to marshal the troops and to call on you know, your peers and all that sort of stuff. Intangible, your brand, brand equity. When you go out to www.yahoo.com, you're going to their brand because you trust that brand. So what happens when that brand goes away? What happens when that brand gets, gets soiled? I'll tell you what happens when that brand gets soiled. Citibank, when, um, I'm, I'm not giving any proprietary information here, but when Citibank got hacked several years ago, was that 92? 92, they got hacked by um, a Russian hacker. Millions of dollars were, were stolen from, the, from Citibank. They recovered all but uh, 400, 200, between 200 and $400,000. That compromise, therefore, if you're looking at the tangible loss, cost them $400,000 plus whatever the, the forensics cost and investigation, all that sort of stuff. So let's say $600,000. Tangible, bottom line, looking at a, a, a double entry balance sheet, the tangible loss to them was between four dollars $600,000. Do we ever think about the intangible loss, their brand, their market share? We have empirical data that over the next six to nine months, hundreds of millions of dollars were voluntarily withdrawn from their deposits based on customers who had lost trust in that company. So what was the loss? The intangible loss was they lost customers, they lost reputation, they lost brand. When we talk about e-business risk, we talk about direct first-party loss. The direct first-party loss in that Citibank scenario was the, um, was the, the loss to the, the, the money being gone and the, uh, so that would be equivalent to lost revenue, lost, lost dollars, the tangible loss of customers, all that sort of, 
all that sort of stuff. The indirect third-party loss would be basically any of the relationships who suffered losses due to that compromise. Maybe someone's money got stolen and they couldn't put, they couldn't do a, they couldn't do a deal because they didn't have the cash or all, you know, all trades were off. They locked down the system. And think about the third-party loss. Think about the third-party loss in an E-Trade example. We're talking about indirect third-party loss of a system going down or a, an e-business risk uh, that's going to cause someone else hardship. The basic elements of e-business trust. These are, the th these are things that you guys have uh, talked about all quarter. This is where the trust meets the road. And what I'm here to say is that all of these elements need to be throughout the electronic business model throughout the extended enterprise, not just in the technology. Of course it's important that it's in the technology as well, but that is an element of this overall e-business risk and e-business trust. Authentication, privacy, security, non-repudiation, availability. And the denial of service attacks that we experienced earlier this year prevent downtime to keep the networks open and accessible. That is a serious, serious um, um, trust factor when you cannot get to your uh, get to the vendors that you need to get to and I think about E-Trade all the time about that. <clears throat> when we talk about e-business risk and, and bringing our customers, our customers are uh, we insure over 300 of the Fortune 500, the Global 2000, we have over a 60% market share in that world as well. In, as well. So what we're talking, when we talk about changing the e-risk paradigm, we're talking about really bringing these, these fabulous, fabulously successful companies from the, the thing that they know, bringing them straight out of the bed that they've been sleeping in and, and dousing cold, wa cold water on them to change that paradigm. And the reason that we can be so aggressive in our, in our message is because they don't have a choice. They're going to do this stuff anyway. A lot of our customers, when we walk into the, the customer environment, they've already spent hundreds of millions of dollars not only on their systems, but on their training and their policies and procedures and all these sorts of things to create the e-business initiative. This explosive growth and these, these, uh, this quest for, uh, for cost savings, quest for uh, additional revenues, quest for additional customers, quest to keep their market share, market pull, public perception. That is perhaps the most important one because Everybody knows, if you don't have a dot-com initiative going forward in the, in the 21st century and beyond, you are not going to exist much longer. So they don't have a choice. But with this choice, with this non-choice, and with these initiatives, and with this diving in headlong, comes this e-business uncertainty. We're changing the paradigm. We are, we are, we are making people think about risk in this new space in a different way than they ever have before. And the reason is untested business models. We haven't done this stuff before. Who has done this stuff before? No one. So every single person that puts forth a new business model, especially when you start patenting your business models, then your competitors come along and they have to do it a different way or they're going to pay you royalties. These are untested business models, rapidly changing technology. Everybody knows about change management. We all talk about change management and how the, the, the risk management um, um, methodology has got to address change management in your technology. Corporate restructuring. They're, they're creating new spinoffs. They're creating new funding sources. They're creating these new stakeholder communities. And that all goes to talk about corporate restructuring. Rapid growth, market pull, reactionary versus proactive. These folks, these business executives, read something in InfoWorld or CIO or Business Week or the front of the Time magazine that says, e-business is here, this is how you do it, you know, three-page article, and they're all of a sudden experts. Well, guess what? 
That's reactionary, guys. What we need to do is start talking about proactive. Before you go spend that hundred million, before you go spend that several hundred million or billion dollars, we need to start thinking about some basic fundamental things before you spend one dollar. And of course, we're on internet time. We're not, you know, I'm, I come from the insurance world, I'm in the insurance world now. Insurance world does not work on internet time, but they're, but they're dipping their toes and going head first into the internet where everybody works on internet time. Increased information handling, I don't know how long I could talk on that. Um, when we start talking about, I mean, you know, Spaff probably remembers that a lot of, lot of data was uh, a KB, you know, several KB. You know, I remember when a lot of data was uh, a, a megabyte. I mean, we're talking about, you know, teraflops of what? Where did this stuff come from? How do you handle it? How do you manage it? What sort of international regulations are we going to come up against that we don't even know about because we're somebody sitting in, you know, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan that has a dot-com initiative and we're going to sell to the EU and we don't even know about the EU, uh, the EU uh, European Union uh, Privacy Directive. You guys talk about that at all? European Union Privacy Directive that says you have to handle information in a particular way. <clears throat> This is what we're talking about, going from bricks and mortar, which is the traditional, to bricks and click. You have to evolve the risk management strategy with the e-business model. You cannot have a new e-business model and not have a new risk management strategy. That's basic, that's bottom line, there is no other way of looking at it. The prudent man rule, which is hundreds of years old, still applies. Business is run according to the prudent man rule. The prudent man rule says, and that's not to be sexist, that is what, it, that is what it's called, the prudent person rule now, I guess that's what we should call it, basically says that if you have a business initiative or if you have a business operation or you have decided to do something as a business, as an organization, you owe it to your stakeholders and everybody around you. Remember that stakeholder list? That's a lot of people. You owe it to these people around you to do what is proper and to do what is commonly accepted as the business practice standard. What business practice standards do we have that have anything to do with the new economy, the internet, and e-business? I'm here to say we need to start thinking about that stuff because when you sit, on the, you, you sit in front of a jury and you say, I didn't know that we were, uh, we were taking credit card numbers unencrypted and we had uh, you know, 500,000 credit cards stolen and now Visa's suing us for you know, $600 million because they had to reissue all these credit cards. I, as a CEO, didn't know that because that's the CIO's job. Remember all that interdependency and all that stuff I was talking about? Guess what? Guess who goes to jail, guys? The CEO, the board of directors. CIO just gets fired. The controls need to be consistent with the business model. That's the whole point. Perceptions are critical. We have to take the stakeholder expectations into account whenever we're talking about doing these new e-business initiatives. If you do not, if you leave the stakeholders behind, including and, and even per, particularly, most importantly, the users within your community. And when you think about users, we used to think about users in the mainframe days as the guys who had the key to get into the mainframe room that was a user because, you know, no one, no one else had access. Think about distributed computing. Okay, well now you have a LAN, so you got users out there that are all networked and they can get into the servers. Okay, now, what, now we're talking about business-to-business -business extranets. Who are your users now? Anybody with a password or some sort of uh, authentication device that's going to get onto your system Who's Amazon.com's users? Anybody who gets on their system. So you have to start taking these folks' expectations really, really seriously and then lead them to understand how you're doing business and uh, what the risk, uh, the risk reward is. Intangible assets and knowledge process become the focus. What we're talking about there is looking at data elements not as objects that need to be controlled and assessed and categorized and confined and destroyed properly. What we're talking about is looking at these data elements as the logical conclusion of this knowledge process that preceded it and that, that created it and that at any given time, if that knowledge process 
Because with the knowledge economy, right? I mean, everybody heard about the knowledge economy. The knowledge process that created that data, whether it's a transaction or it's a, 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 a customer account, what, whatever sort of thing is in that field, we're talking about assessing the knowledge process now. That is completely, totally different than looking at information as a distinct object. And if all that doesn't flip your boat and all that doesn't make you think differently about this world that we're in, wait till these guys come knocking on your door. Okay? You don't want these guys to come knocking on your door if you're a bank. They'll shut you down like that. You'll be done. All those years of great relationships and you know, you know, huge assets and global reach and all these things that you've, you know, our great brand, man, we're the bomb. We are so awesome. We're, we know so much what we're doing. We're going to go do this dot-com stuff. Hacker gets in, works your system because you bought the wrong stuff. You didn't know what you're doing. You had no clue how to recover. You had no clue how to put a muzzle on anybody because you didn't initiate the stakeholders in the process. You just told them what to do. So the press comes knocking on your door. These guys come knocking on your door. The FBI comes knocking. You know any of these guys? <laughs> you don't want them knocking on your door, right? These guys come knocking on your door for your public company. They'll shut you down. They won't even let you get funding anymore. Now, where's your risk? Was your risk in, you know, where was your risk? Your risk was in not doing what was right and proper and prudent according to your business model. Now this one, I don't know if you guys have heard of this one, but this one is ugly. This one says that if any of this bad stuff goes on, we'll take you to jail and we'll fine you. Personally fine you and personally put your butt in prison if you are a director or a senior executive. And the handouts that I gave you, I gave you um, a, um, a, a little blip about that talks about this. You don't have to read it now, but I thought that was important enough because not a lot of people know about that. And it extends to computer crime and extends to computer uh, intrusions. You know, hacking attempts are illegal. And so when something illegal happens in your, in your, uh, in your environment, you will go to jail if you are a chief decision maker. All right, here's the stuff that you guys came here to talk about. Four years ago, when I came out of electronic banking and then went into the beginning of the internet, I came armed not with a you know, computer science degree, but I came armed with a, with a uh, organizational behavior degree uh, from Stanford. And so what, what I, the, the approach that I naturally took to, to solving this issue, not to solve this issue, but to analyze this issue, because I don't think it will really ever really, really be solved, <clears throat> Unless Baff and I have something to do with it. <laughs> oh, and, and a lot of money. You've got to have a lot of money to solve, this prob solve these problems. What I understood was that we needed to focus on creating this standard of, of you know, insurability, the standard of risk management. There needed to be a process that anyone who wants to get involved in this e-business stuff that anyone can just look at a blueprint and say, okay, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I haven't done that, stop here, let's do that. Weigh the cost reward, all that sort of stuff, don't go forward if you don't do that sort of thing. In thinking about that and thinking about what the, the internet was going to become and how people were building these business models and all that sort of stuff, I came from a very non-technical background. I mean, I have, a, I've, I have, I have acquired a technical background, but um, you, know, you, you, will, you will be able to tell where my, uh, where my expertise is. I had to think about how computers were, were beginning to be used. And when, when we talk about how computers are being used, we think about the extended enterprise. The extended enterprise says that no longer are my constituents, no longer are my users, no longer are my stakeholders, no longer even are my servers in my immediate vicinity, within my physical control. In insurance, we have this, this concept called, actually I'll talk about it here, bailment, this concept called control, custody and control. Whoever's in custody and control of whatever 
they are responsible for, for that thing. So the extended enterprise creates this uncertainty. I mean, you have all these new people, all these new users that uh, you, have to, uh, you have to account for somehow. The liability of outsourced business operations relating to bailment, privacy, and, and policy. Policy meaning when you outsource to someone, what, how are they going to be held responsible for the stuff that you are paying them to do? That's a huge, huge issue when you make a decision to outsource. And we are seeing people uh, with these application service uh, provider business models and even ISP. And ISP is an outsourcer of your network operations. Bailment talks about, that's a, that's a very um, risk management and insurance term that talks about care, custody, and control. Who is in care, custody, and control of, of this asset or this thing, whatever it may be, um, that's who needs to be responsible for it. It was clear to me that we needed to focus not on the technology but on the client. The client being the business, the, the business model. And we need to focus on the business issues. Bridging that gap between those chief decision makers. Focus on the stakeholders, we've already talked about that, nailed that one down. And finally, I, might, I should have put this on the top, analyze human behavior and figure out what is really going on under the tech or on top of the technology that drives the organizational culture. <clears throat> In going through, um, you know, educating myself on how to build this model and how to create this standard, I looked at several international standards that are out there and this is a sample of the ones that I, that I looked at. Um, in, in reality, there's probably, there's probably uh, close to 20 that uh, we use as, um, as primary reference for what we do. This is a brand new one that came out. Uh, it replaced the common criteria in the BS 7799. That's the British standard there. This one here, I don't expect you guys to, to, to really, you know, know a whole lot about any of these. These are very, very... These are very technical standards um, that have a whole lot to do with how to deploy technology, how to um, implement proper policy procedure, that sort of stuff. Very little strategic risk in, in these. This one, though, talks about how to extend the electronic business model and how to extend the contract business model throughout the, the electronic world. So that, this one right here, actually, I don't know, I don't remember how I got a hold of this one, but um, it actually does take into account this extended, uh, this extended enterprise. The layers of risk. I realized that, okay, man, you know, I got all these international standards here, but there seems to be something missing because they mostly were talking about, uh, to some degree they talk about this stuff, they were mostly talking about the system risk. And these points under these three, strategic operational system, there are, there are literally dozens and uh, probably uh, uh, you know, tens of dozens of points that we could put under here. I just wanted to give you an idea of what we talk about. I, 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 you know, I have this very systematic brain that says, you know what, man, we gotta put stuff in, in, in a process. We gotta put stuff in order. And so I started thinking about the layers of risk. Strategic risk, which is like, you know, hey, are, do your executives really support this or are they just paying lip service? Stakeholder planning. Do you really have the buy-in of the people who are going to be needed to support you going forward in this new initiative? Operational risk, design development, vendor selection, user training. And then, of course, you have the system risk. That's where we talk about the information technology. We talk about the technical controls, support maintenance and getting down to the transaction integrity. <clears throat> Coming off of that, that three-layer um, uh, overall risk model, it, was, it became just so obvious to me. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't really, you know, sort of these sort of things that you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you just have to go sit at, the, sit at your laptop and just type and just, you know, figure out where you're headed. This is where I was headed. Knowledge is broken up into two distinct spheres. The two distinct spheres that we break knowledge into, one is explicit. Explicit is this. 
I'm sorry, explicit is this. Explicit is the tip, tip of the iceberg. Explicit is the stuff that is measurable. Explicit is the stuff that's objective, quantitative. It reflects inventory, the physical environment, the technical environment, the processes that are involved with the enterprise. These are the things that we as technologists always talk about. How many times do you hear, who cares about the user? Who cares what the user wants? This is what we're going to do. User behavior is down here. What they want. What they're excited about. Reflects, reflects the organization's roles, relationships, formal and informal because uh, you know, our, our training says that there are formal relationships and then there are informal. Social culture roles, communication, power, norms, unintended consequences. Unintended consequences of putting together a process or a technical environment can be huge and damaging. We as e-business risk management people have to take all these things into consideration. The point here is the tip of the iceberg, this is the iceberg analogy. 20%, the stuff that we can quantify, the stuff that goes into the databases that, that, that the technologists today are analyzing to quantify this risk and to catalog this risk. That's really about 20% of the overall risk management paradigm. The other 80% is stuff that we can't see that is qualitative, that is subjective and tacit. We have to manage it all, we have to address it all, and we have to somehow um, uh, control the losses related to all that stuff. <clears throat> what it requires is an interdisciplinary approach. I use the word multi there. I've been, um, I've been um, schooled on the difference between multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary. It really is a, right now it's multidisciplinary. Where we need to head is an interdisciplinary approach where the organizational controls and the operational controls and the physical controls and the technical controls and the training. I put training by itself because it is that important. A lot of people put training in here into the operational controls. All these things need to be addressed. All of them. That's the risk. Think about me as a Fortune 500 insurer. I'm not a technologist anymore, guys. I'm an insurer. I'm giving people money if their stuff goes down. What do I care about? Why would I ever in my life think about what type of firewall are they using or what sort of internal or, or perimeter controls or what sort of ports are open if they have no executive buy-in. If the people steering the boat are heading for the rocks. I don't care about this. I, I as an insurance person, remember we're always talking about this insurable standard? No thank you, I don't care how much money you want to give me. You don't know what you're doing. Now I will consult with you to establish these things and, and all of this stuff that we talk about we consult on. So we, we bring these best practices, we bring these approach to our customers, we just don't leave them high and dry. This is a very important, uh, very important slide in thinking about the insurable standard. <laughs> then we got to categorize the e-business risk. Customize for each business, for each risk profile and throughout the entire virtual enterprise. Whatever that business, that business model deems is the virtual enterprise, that's where we have to go. So we look at the business model risk. We look at the contract network risk. We say, are you in, a, uh, in, a, in an extranet environment where you have uh, solid contractual relationships with the people that you allow onto your system? What do those contracts look like? What are the, the user expectations? How are you going to minimize the risk? And when something happens, who's going to be accountable? Specific knowledge assets. What sort of specific knowledge assets do you have on your system? What sort of specific knowledge processes do you rely on to, to make your company go and to, uh, uh, you know, to create operational excellence 
and we categorize these things and we uh, put a value on them. One thing that we do in our, in our, in our practice is we actually uh, are some of the few people uh, doing this right now, we actually will put a value on intangible assets. We will actually go through a, qua a quantification um, exercise to put a value on these knowledge assets. And then, at the end of the day, after you do these things and create the context, these three are the context, this is the, this is the, uh, the tacit world, then you can come down here because guess what, guys? Not every shoe is going to fit the same, uh, going to fit everybody. Not, you know, one, this is not a one shoe fits all sort of thing. If you read InfoWorld or you read CIO or you read, you know, any of these magazines, you think, you know, that all these things are ubiquitous and everybody needs all these things and everybody needs the same exact things. That's what you would think. That's what, the, that's marketing speak. I used to speak that talk. It, it doesn't work. It's wrong. It does a complete disservice and it is not selling a solution. It's actually, it's, it, in fact, it adds to the problem. In fact. Sap on Windows. Sir? Sap on Windows. Yes. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I, I, I was uh, very interested in the fact that you said we'll put some value, quantified value. Is your model for quantification agreed upon by everybody else, or is it the most convincing Right. Good job. The only thing that, the only thing that I have to, I'll, I'll answer that backwards. The only thing that I have to convince the people that want me to hang out with them, the only thing I have to convince them is that they have intangible assets that are valued at some ridiculous valuation that's probably a lot higher than the way the stock market values them and that they need to pay me some small percentage of that value to come do them a consulting. So I deal with people that have billions of dollars worth of intangible assets and all I want is like 2%, you know? <laughs> 2% of a couple billion, I mean, come on guys, you know what I'm saying? I only need about, what, a handful of customers. So that's really, that's, that's the only sell job that I do. In the, in the process of creating that return on investment scenario, we are in the process of, um, of contracting and, and outsourcing, much like we are with Sirius, the world's best valuators of intangible assets. Our company is dedicated on being the world's best at all this stuff. And we have an enormous, enormous head start. But would it be useful if some academic evaluates Absolutely. Intangible Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you selling me? <laughs> You're selling me, aren't you? <laughs> you need a job? Um, <laughs> heck yeah! <laughs> heck yeah! I mean, what do you want me to answer that question? No. Of course, it would be wonderful to have someone outside of the commercial realm come tell my customers that this is our third party you know, our third party evaluation of your stuff and yeah, Rick pays me, but he didn't, you know, he didn't have anything to do with it. Our business, and I mean, just think about insurance. Our business is to get the most objective valuation of all this stuff so that we can feel comfortable. We don't want to do the valuation because then we're valuing something that we have to then pay for. I mean, that, that kind of creates a conflict on, that, on, the, on, the, on the balance sheet after a while. So you're absolutely right. And, and in fact, what we do is we go out to the world's best people who are, who are leading the charge on this whole intellectual asset valuation, and that, those are the people that we're dealing with. Um, even if you, can, you feel like you can accurately evaluate uh, the value of uh, uh, these intangible um, concepts, uh, how can you put a, um, like a percentage on like, uh, how often someone's going to break in and, and take these at this value because you even said there's a lot of uncertainty right. and like trust right. um, and you create this environment with all these controls but still um, things change day to day absolutely so um, like what's good today um, you know, next week or something when you left and you went back to your office and you're collecting this money from them um, a new bug may come up who's going to like um, of course, that they fix it and they keep up to date. Are you, are you, you, did you just read this off of this? You did, didn't you? This, this, your question right there is 
be somewhere between inspect and support. We have to, as e-business risk managers, manage the change in the environment. We have no choice. Your question exactly. So we don't, we, the answer to your question is, we don't go home, count our money, and say thank you very much. That is the answer to your question. We don't do that. We can't do that because when they fail, it's our money. How do you figure out the, the chance that someone's actually going to take this much value that you've assessed? Um, how do you, I mean, because all it takes is one bad apple to spoil the whole thing. Right. Someone, some stakeholder somewhere along the way or someone internally um, that you trust right. to do that. So is there right. any method that you use to not analyze that? Um, Sort sort of the the underlying sort of the underlying question under under what you're asking is is there any way to make this whole thing foolproof? Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's what I hear. The answer is hell no. Of course not. Of course no. Great question. No. Absolutely not. Do you know of any way to make this completely foolproof? My, one of my basic tenets is wherever you have a human, you have risk, period. I don't care what the deal is. The analogy that I gave was excellent question. Excellent question. I get that question all the time, and I give the same exact answer every time. The nothing is foolproof. Nothing is 100%. All you can do is manage it. Uh, Spaff and I are having a conversation. I had this conversation with several, several people. The United States government used to have a doctrine of zero risk tolerance in their computing environment, in, in specific computing environments. And they would spend as much money as they wanted to and buy anything that someone or, or have someone make anything that they thought, you know, because a lot of smart people, so they got a lot of time on their hands to think of this cool, gee whiz, you know, billion dollar stuff to secure these systems. And your issue exactly came to light several years ago, not that long ago, that said, we will never be 100% secure, no matter how much money we spend. Because every single day, all of our, all of our brains and all the people that we rely on have to come into the environment and have to go home. What happens between the time that they come into the environment, sit down, do their job, go home, go do whatever they do, and then come back into the secure environment? What, are you going to lock them in there and never let them leave? So the issue is you have to manage it. So, so, the, so the, the things that you have to do to manage it. Risk management is a process. It's not an event. It's not a snapshot sort of thing. We, all, we always hear about these, these snapshots and these risk assessments where we're going to come in, we're going to penetrate your, your system, and we're going to see where your vulnerabilities are, and we're going to leave. Thank you very much for the engagement. They call them engagements. Well, guess what, guys? I'm here to tell you it's not an engagement. It's a process. We don't leave. We can't leave. And why can't we leave, guys? Because it's our money that they're going to bleed when the stuff goes down. We have every interest in the world not to leave. Continuous life cycle approach. This continuous life cycle approach starts with a knowledge transfer. It starts with someone like me standing in front of a group much smaller, much smaller than this, CEO, CFO, CIO, risk manager types, and brings them a new language that they can start talking about this stuff. Advises them on the, the, the perils of focusing on tangible assets versus intangible assets, and let's value these, tangible as, these intangible assets, and let's go forward and, and, and really start to, to quantify and categorize and all that sort of stuff. Really do the, 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 the knowledge transfer. Then, we combine information security. You never forget the information security. One question I had today, uh, Pascal actually asked this question, and it was a great, great question. Rick, but at the end of the day, you talk about all this knowledge stuff. At the end of the day, if a hacker gets in because you didn't, you didn't batten down the hatches, it turns into a, a technical compromise, right? Yes, it does. So what we do is we combine information security and traditional risk management Information security talks about these four things. Identify the risk, protect against the risk, detect the risk, detect the, the loss or the compromise, and then finally react, respond to the risk, do your forensics and that sort of stuff. 
Traditional risk management, in the parlance of traditional risk management, what we talk about is analyze the risk, avoid the risk, control the risk, and then at the end of the day, what this does not do is transfer the risk through some securitization of, of risk transfer. And we're talking about Fortune 500 companies in Global 2000, that's a lot of risk. So, when we identify, analyze, we, we call this benchmark. You're going to take a snapshot. You're going to figure out what they have going on in their world right now because you can't give somebody you know, a silver bullet if you have no idea if your silver bullet even fits their gun. Then you protect and avoid the risk. This is where we get into our blueprint exercises. We actually come in as a, a risk management consultant, uh, glorified project manager, uh, architect sort of thing, and we start to blueprint what these people need to do according to this insurable standard. Then we inspect, continuous inspection, continuous uh, um, um, continuous inspection and continuous uh, probing of the entire business model, not just the technology, but yes, we do continuous inspection of the technology as well. And then finally, support. This is where the transfer piece is. This is where the, the, the reaction and the insurance piece are. A lot of our customers, we don't even call it insurance, we call it securitization of their risk because it's no longer insurance, it's, it's really a, just a, a, big fat, a big fat check that they give us and we just hold on to. You guys got any questions on this? I mean, I'm sure you got, you got, questions, on, you got questions on this stuff specifically. This could get kind of, kind of hairy. Yes? Let's take it a little less high tech than, than, uh, than your alarm installer. Let's say your plumber. How many times have you ever seen on the side of a plumber's van bonded and insured? And here's their license number. They have to be licensed. Who has to be licensed in the software world, guys? Who has to be bonded and insured to come work on your most critical stuff? And if it, if it goes away, you're done. Nobody. So the plumber, I mean, you know, one of the oldest professions, I mean, you know, you know plumbing back in the, in the ancient Roman days, I mean, there have been plumbers for a long time. And we have figured out that this is a pretty critical thing to our civilization. We will not let you in the door unless you are licensed and insured. A plumber but we'll let you come configure our firewall. <laughs> we'll let you, man, just come on in. Bring all your boys, you know. We're not gonna check visas. We're not gonna check criminal records. We're not, man, I tell you what. Where'd you graduate from? Didn't graduate? Oh, you're a reformed hacker? Oh, come on in. You must know what's up. Like, <laughs> yeah, I do know what's up, okay? Gotcha. Exactly, that's the point not held to the prudent man rule of doing what is custom, customarily accepted as proper business standards. That's, what, that's exactly what all this is talking about. So you, you're, start, you're starting to get this picture. But this seems more like a, a policy for a given company, not necessarily for the products you buy. And this seems to be the outline for like a standard for how a company, you know, the policy they go through. The, the, even if a company puts its policy, but the products they have, Right, so what we do in the what we do in the blueprint section is we will actually help them select their vendors and select their products and select the people who come in and do the work for them. So we will act as that third party certification, third party sort of trusted advisor to say you probably don't want to work with these people because in their contract, guess what? They're not being held responsible for anything. So unless they change this contract or, you know, let's go with this, uh, these other people because they will be held responsible. We know that they're good people and, you know, SPAF says they're good people, so let's go with it. A lot of this has to be done on intuition and relationships. That's where, that's where your reputation comes, comes in. I have customers today 
that we have created a warranty for their firewall product? Yes. We have, we just did a, my old company, I'm sorry, this was my deal when I left before, before it was iced, or it was iced but it wasn't completed. They, we created a, a warranty. What you're talking about now is warranty. So let's think point solution, let's think um, service provider, let's think you know these, these people out here who are creating the technology or, or, or creating the networks and they want customers to come to them. Wouldn't it be great if they could stand up and say, hey, if something goes wrong, ASP for example, we're hosting all your applications. If something goes wrong, we'll indemnify you for, for all, your, um, all your troubles. We'll pay for it. We'll give you a warranty on our system, just like you would uh, on, a, on a refrigerator or anything else. Um, that is exactly where we're going. That is being accountable. That is being responsible. That is, otherwise, you have the same thing that happens in the tobacco world and the gun world. You get sued. <laughs> Class action suits. You know, I don't. I wouldn't want to be a tobacco maker, right? I mean, they're making a gang load of cash, but I tell you what, you know, bad press, bad reputation, bad all sorts of stuff. I'm sorry. Yes. You have a lot of problems with uh, fraud, people hacking into bank systems um, or destroying data just so they can collect. <coughs> no, they're 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 too. It's too critical. More for problem sorry failing. You know, and they see it's just going to go under, so why don't we steal all the information and erase everything and say some hacker got in? I think you've got a business plan there. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you do have a business plan there, but, but if they're my customers, we have, uh, you know, we have Tripwire installed, and we, we have a data integrity tool. Um, we make sure that uh, their log files are being kept away from any any um, uh, super user uh, ad admin privileged person, so it's going to be traced over there. Part of this support, part of this support. But if this is an insider job, because they want to do fraud, they're going to know about all these things and take the perfect. That is the risk that we all face, right there. You can butt if me to death with that, right? But if it was like, you know, some, you know, dude that got in there and they didn't know and, you know, he killed somebody, guess what? That happens every day anyway. So all I'm trying to do is trying to, you know, do our damnedest to just, you know, say that, yes, that does happen. And here's how we are going to try to avoid, protect, detect, detect. I've been talking with, with some folks here, and DTECT, what you're saying, DTECT might be the most important one of all of these. Because how are you going to respond to a risk if you have no idea that, it, that it, a loss, if you have no idea that it, that it even occurred? And so then you go on with flawed, I mean, this is where tripwire is so beautiful. You know, you, you go on with flawed data, and, and you know, I mean, the, deni the, the distributed denial of service attacks, I will say, and I've actually said publicly, would not have happened if the people used um, as the hosts had a robust way to detect that their, that their files and their, their OS and their stuff had been changed from the last time they used it. I, I have to believe that in my heart. I have to believe that would not have occurred. Absolutely. A tool like Tripwire would have told them that something changed. And they would have said, do you want to go on with this change? Or do you, is, you know, is it, is, it, is it spooky enough that you want to, you know, check it out a little more? So what does it always come down to? The human decision. And we just got to be smart. But that is, in fact, the risk that we all face anyway, is the bad person who gets in and works your life. Yes, ma'am. We help them hire. We help them hire. We, in fact, in at the beginning of a and they don't have a dedicated infosec person. We have uh, we have taken their pool of people that they 
have found through headhunters or whatever, and we have done the hiring and the pairing out and bring them the right two that they need to decide from. And then do you go through the audit just to check in? I mean, making sure that people are still trusted or whatever. Still there, first of all. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're in, this, we're in this mobile society, so first of all, we have to make sure they're still there and that they haven't, that their job responsibilities haven't changed and that they are staying up on their certification and training, and that they are then creating, and that perhaps most importantly, creating disciples throughout the organization and sharing their knowledge. At the end of the day, guys, all we're talking about is knowledge sharing and awareness. That's what we're talking about. And, and, and experience. Yes, of course. One of, the, one of the things to keep in mind, for those of you who are not familiar with the insurance industry and the way it works, is they don't come in and tell you what to do. They will come in and advise you what to do. And if you take their advice, then they set a premium. If you don't take their advice, they set a higher premium. Right. Or, or we don't insure you at all. At all. And so there's, there's an incentive. What they do is incentivize. They don't direct. Right. Is they provide incentive. So the, same, the, the idea here, where somebody could commit fraud, they provide incentives to put two-factor controls in place. Right. And if you don't put two-factor controls in place, well, you pay a higher premium. And, and uh, there's a risk that's always there. Insurance companies hire people with PhDs in statistics that undergo years of training. The insurance industry is the largest industry in the world. They own more property and money than any other industry and than most countries. They're very, very good at assessing risk. Right. And they understand those statistical models. So, so when they give advice, people who've been trained in business, which doesn't include too many people here, listen very carefully because there's a reason for those numbers. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Thank you, Spaff, for that. Um, that is that is perhaps um, one of the one of the introductory uh, comments that I should generally make because a, a lot of people don't really understand. Um, you know what the insurance world is all about and and really the power and clout that we have we are just now feeling experiencing this newfound power and clout and i've been working on this for over four years now um, and i'm now with <clears throat> i'm now running all of this starting up and running all this for aon which is the second largest insurer in the world um, Can you skip some of these? i will absolutely all right guys here we're going to talk we're, we were talking about applying the insurable standard to island hopping, email exposures, website exposures, and uh, content business model exposures. Um, uh, I put these in to, uh, to really illustrate how we talk about loss and the, the magnitude of the losses that we're talking about. With each of these exposures, with each of these business models, there are, um, there are particular losses that need to be addressed. All right. Focus on R&D and learning. We have to do that. We have to hang out with folks like SPAF. We have to hang out with folks at, at Sirius. Um, we got to be proactive. We can't be reactive in this world. When we are reactive, we lose money. We need to focus on the knowledge sharing. We're not placing the insurance, but on the knowledge sharing, gaining the trust, and creating this insurable environment. We need to, we as these insurance folks who sustain this insurable standard, need to, um, need to hang out with education folks, government and corporate people and learn from them. As long as we focus on operational excellence, we can do pretty much whatever we want because at the end of the day, and the insurance world knows this better than anything, if you don't risk, you, there, there will be no reward. So we can't be afraid to go forward and live outside this box and we can never say never. We can never say that, um, uh, that certain things in this environment because it's so new we can never say, hey, that can't be done. And of course, we have to hire smart people. What does this mean to Sirius? What does this mean to Purdue? What does this mean to the outside world? Um, what it means to Sirius is that you guys, as, a, as an institution, have the inside track to the business future because this is the way everything is going. We know that for a fact. Um, and we are pioneers in this. And so Sirius absolutely has the inside track. We can create targeted research. We can do all sorts of things in the education environment that we could never do in the commercial environment over long periods of time, collaborative. We will give you ability to create real world experiences, to use the world as, um, as, the, uh, um, as the blueprint. 
validation of the multidisciplinary, um, uh, interdisciplinary ideas. It, this one is actually important, the alternate opportunity, uh, uh, employment opportunities. We have to understand that the, not, the only place for technologists and people that do information security is not just in doing information security. It is in doing all these things that we talk about. This stuff that you learn here, the bits and bytes of the world and the firewalls and the antivirus and the VPN and all this sort of PKI and all this sort of stuff is very, if you think outside the box, is very transferable to the real world. Kind of all a key exchange, if you think about, you know, I'm getting a little deep here, but if you, get, if you think about the public key exchange and you think about how VPN handshake works, all that is is an agreement to work on a certain protocol. An agreement is, is a contract. All it is is, a, is a stated expectations. So I want you to think about what we read before and focus on this with your new brain, thinking about the new things that, that um, you've been um, so patiently waiting for me to, uh, to, uh, to go through and focus on that. What is needed is more folks who can talk about this stuff and who have the skills to deal with it because this is not an acceptable situation. The, 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 the issue my man brought up up there is not an acceptable situation where people are not held responsible. This is what we have to focus on. We not focus on selling, um, selling point solutions and um, um, the, the real, the real um, uh, point solution, um, you know, under the, under the rug sorts of issues, we need to really think about bridging this knowledge gap and doing a consultative, uh, consultative engagement. Some intangible exposures are not insurable. You cannot insure loss of reputation. You cannot insure loss of market cap. We need to create this new language called e-business risk management that is a combination of e-business consulting, uh, information security, traditional risk management, insurance, all that sort of stuff. Focus on the stakeholders because the third party loss in this networked world, it's not necessarily the loss that I sustain as my company, but it's, it is the, the loss that, that I cause other people out there in this networked world, that's going to be the most damaging. And the last thing is um, perhaps the most important, dare to learn new stuff. Think outside the box, guys. We have to think outside the box. The only way we're going to go forward in this new world is if we dare to learn new stuff and think outside the box. All right, I've sufficiently gone over, I've sufficiently overstayed my welcome.